You are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. So during the month of January, I read the book of Exodus. I got my Bible out, and pretty much every day I missed one or two and had to do a little catch-up. Read the book of Exodus. Sometimes I used my Bible, sometimes I used my phone or another device to read through God's Word. Also during the month of January, I used our church devotional, written 31 different reflections by members of the congregation. Um, Sometimes I read the hard copy, sometimes I read it on my phone, but read through all of that to read God's Word. I put a lot of time into it. A lot of people in the congregation did the same thing, reading Exodus day after day after day, put a lot of time, dozens of people, maybe hundreds of people read the book of Exodus. We talked about it several times. After spending all that time reading a book, a very reasonable question somebody might ask me or anybody who read Exodus is, so what? (laughs) So what? You spent all that time reading Exodus, what difference did it make? Did it change anything? Did it inspire anything? Did it make any difference in your life? It's a good question. It's a reasonable question. So we've been thinking about words, and today is the last Sunday of our Word Power Sermon Series. And over these five weeks, we've been thinking a lot about the power of words, words that come to us from the Bible and other words as well. And as important as we've learned that words are, by themselves... Standing alone, sometimes words lose their power because a lot of words are meant to be responded to and put into action in some way, shape, or form. So if we just listen to the words and don't do anything with them, then we could be missing the boat. The Bible, along with all sorts of ethical and philosophical teachers through the ages, have reminded us of the power of words and that if words and deeds don't align with one another, then we're being hypocritical. The word hypocrite, part of the root of that is from a Greek word, which means like an actor, like somebody wearing a mask and saying one thing or, or trying to pretend to be something that they're not. And sometimes if our words and our deeds don't align, it's like we're putting on a mask or we're being hypocritical. And a lot of philosophical teachers and ethical teachers and the Bible have had a lot to say about being hypocrites. I want to share three examples from Scripture with you today. One of them comes from Matthew, our our gospel reading for today, from Matthew chapter 7. Um, It's the conclusion of what's often called the Sermon on the Mount, which is a collection of teachings of Jesus. Wonderful collection. If you're looking for a place to start reading the Bible, um, people ask me this fairly regularly, where do I start in the Bible? Check out Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's a collection of teachings of Jesus worth pondering. He talks about loving enemies. He talks about not judging one another. He talks about seeking first God's kingdom. He talks about living in a righteous way. All sorts of great teachings in there about prayer and trusting God and much more. And at the conclusion of all these teachings, Jesus makes the connection between words and deeds for us. The conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount goes like this. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
On that day, many will come to me. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these sayings, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Jesus does a nice job for us of connecting the dots on the words and the deeds and challenging us to put the words into practice. The letter of James does the same thing, addressing the so what question that someone might ask if we've done a lot of reading. In the first chapter of James, we read, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and hot air, only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. A lot of people have done surveys about why people go to church and why people don't go to church. And multiple surveys have shown that oftentimes the number one reason that people don't go to church is because they see church people in general as hypocritical, as saying one thing and doing something else. So we collectively, as the church, have a bit of an image problem. So we need to be as intentional as possible about making sure the words we read and speak and hold dear are reflected in our lives. And that's what Jesus was talking about. That's what James was talking about. And we also hear it from the eight centuries before Jesus' prophet named Amos. Amos spoke in a context where apparently there were people gathering for worship, maybe the upper crust of the society. They were gathering for worship and apparently had no concern whatsoever for the people who were beyond the walls of whatever worship space they were in who were suffering. They weren't connecting the words and the deeds. And Amos said these words that were later made famous by Martin Luther King. Amos said, I hate, I reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So if the worship services that we have don't inspire us to put those words into practice some way, we are missing something. Clearly the words we lead and pray and sing and ponder aren't meant just to be there by themselves. They're meant to inspire us, to change us, to lead us to something, to put us into action. We know as Christians that Jesus came into this world as the word made flesh, as the scripture says, and to proclaim God's kingdom, God's realm, God's new reality, this new place where there's reason for hope and encouragement and new purpose and thinking about abundant and, and eternal life. 
And within the context of that proclamation of good news, Jesus called people, and he called them to follow him and to live in a new way, to think in a new way, to live in a new way, to make new choices, to have new priorities. That's what being a Christian is all about. Here at Covenant, we do our best to make that happen around here. We talk about learning God's love and living God's love. Or you could say, for the sake of today, learning God's word and living God's word, right? That's what we try to do. We learn together when we're in here, and then we go out to live it. Sometimes at the end of the worship service, if I'm doing the blessing and the benediction at the end, um, oftentimes, you know, people who do that will raise their hands. Well, part of me wants to, when we're doing the benediction, to kind of say, all right, you've heard God's word, now get out of here and go make it happen. Go make it happen in the world, right? Sort of send people out. So now I'm trying to be nice and polite, so I'm not going to push you out the door, but that's the, you know, that's the spirit of it, I really think. Learning God's love, living God's love. And one way that we've been trying to do that around here is with the Matthew 25 initiative. If you've been around here, you've heard a little bit about that, but um, I want to explain it today, that it, it's based on Jesus' words in the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew 25, where he speaks very poignantly about taking care of what you might describe as the lost, the least, and the last, the people who are often forgotten in the world. That was a big part of Jesus' ministry, opening the eyes of people who had power and privilege to recognize that their people are hurting and that God's commandments are a lot about taking care of people. So in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to, to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. The people who hear this are confused and they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? We never saw you in any of these conditions. And Jesus says, whenever you did it, for the least of the people who are out there, you did it for me. So there's this really firm conviction from the, from the gospel about taking care of people and trying to make the world a better place. Presbyterian Church has taken that idea into this Matthew 25 initiative with three foci, three emphases in them, and we're working on all of those along with hundreds of other congregations around the country, um, focusing on Matthew 25. By, um, the first one's about uh, congregational vi vitality and by reading the, um, the words of Exodus and pondering those words of Exodus, we're working on that. By having connect events like the hockey game this afternoon that some of us are going to, we're working on that. Or the Wednesday lunch that we're having this week, we're, we're building congregational vitality by working on spiritual formation and long-range planning, which the session's going to be doing this spring. We're working on all of these things. Congregational vitality is important. We're also working on dismantling structural racism. We've got a racist anonymous fellowship group here that's been meeting and asking hard questions. We've got dozens of people who have taken the black history for a new day class, learning about history that most of us didn't learn when we were in high school, and responding accordingly, working with local partners to try to be good allies for those of us who are white. And then the third one, eradicating systemic poverty. Um, you know, it's nice to feed hungry people. That's great. And we do that, but at some point, we need to ask the deeper questions about why is there so much poverty, especially in our country. One way we're going to be answering that, at least a handful of us, we're doing a book study over the next four weeks, along with hundreds of Presbyterians around the country, a Zoom study on this book called Poverty by America, written by Matthew Desmond, who wrote a well-appreciated book several years ago called Evicted, about the housing crisis. And in this book, he really digs into... Um, why poverty is happening. 
Um, not just talking about poverty, but why is it happening and asking some of those systemic questions. So I look forward to digging more deeply into that. I've only read a few chapters of it, but it should be good. Several people are engaged in that. So those sorts of things are ways that people in this congregation are taking those words of Matthew 25 and saying, okay, Jesus said this, so we need to do something with it. We need to respond to those words and put them into action. So we're trying to do that, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm, I'm hopeful we'll continue to do that. So sometimes when we hear words of Scripture, it leads us to action, but not, not always. You know, here at Covenant, we, we remind one another, like we did earlier in the service, that Jesus said, love your neighbors. And he described loving God and loving neighbor as the greatest commandment. So we use the phrase and remind one another about loving neighbors a lot. I'm not sure when we say that, that leads people to run out the doors and go home and bake cookies for their neighbors or send flowers to their neighbors or something like that. But I do think, over time, hearing those words again and again and again shape us a little differently and get us thinking about our neighbors and who are our neighbors. Maybe the people who live next to us, maybe other people as well. I think gradually over time, as we continue to come to worship and read God's word and, and have Bible studies and discussions, and that word sinks in and it changes us over time, kind of like water running down a river and smoothing out a rock. So we say a lot of words over and over again. We repeat things. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? Every month, on the first Sunday of the month, we do the Ten Commandments. And we share these words, and we say these words in sort of affirmative form. And I'd like to think that over time that they make a difference. You know, every, every month we say, we will not covet our neighbor's things. That's probably changed a lot of us a little bit at least in terms of thinking about the stuff we have in our lives and the choices we make about what to purchase and what not to purchase, right? We also say we will honor our fathers and mothers. And I'm guessing that because of that repetition, it got planted somewhere deep within us and somehow, someway, a lot of us are being maybe picking up the phone and calling a parent or another relative or maybe being a little more patient with our parents or relatives or maybe being extra kind with them in some way, shape, or form. Just, you know, again, taking time for those words to sink in. And I'd certainly like to think that when we say we will not commit adultery month after month after month, that that's going to help people make good choices and stay, stay true to their vows that they made to one another. Words have power. Words have power. Words have meaning. Words make a difference for us. And so we need to remember that. Words matter. We gather here and we learn God's word together. We pray God's word. We sing God's word. Not just to pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, I went to church today. I'm a good person. Or, hey, I read the Bible. I read Exodus this month. Yay, I'm a great person. But we do those things so that we might be changed. It's like we come together to hear God's word, to sing God's word, to hear God's word. And, and implicitly, if not explicitly, we're saying God, please, please change me. Please heal me. Please strengthen me. Please show me the way. Please show me what to do when I go out the door. We come to church not just to listen to some words and have a donut, but ask God to transform us, to make us better people. And we share communion on the first Sunday of every month, not just to have a little snack or not just to do a religious ritual, but in order that God might 
feed us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation and remind us of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and remind us that we're called to be disciples of Jesus and then send us with this meal into the world, into a world that's really hungry for food, a world that's hungry for justice so that we might share food in some way, shape, or form with a hungry world. Words have power to inspire us and challenge us and shape us. So keep reading. (laughs) Reading is good. Reading the Bible is really good. Reading other stuff is good. Listening carefully to words is really good. I just got a book this week that I'm very excited about. I wish I'd known about it a couple months ago, but it's called Reading for the Love of God, Reading How to Read as a Spiritual Practice. I love to read books, so I'm really interested how this book might help me reframe my reading as a spiritual practice. I'm looking forward to that. And my hope for all of us is that our words and our deeds would be a blessing to the people around us and that they would honor the God that we claim to serve. I want to close with a prayer, um, a traditional prayer that is often said in churches. Some of us might have grown up in churches where this prayer of confession was said on a regular basis. Sometimes we use it in worship here or at least parts of it. And I think the prayer does a nice job of connecting the idea of words and deeds for us. Let us pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen.